When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome to the next episode of the Challenger Club podcast. Today, of course, five events to preview, five events to review as usual recently, but we are nearing, you know, the year end um, of the Challenger Tour as well. We have just three more weeks of events coming up, which makes me sad, but at the same time, you know, it's just a very short off season in December. Of course, it's like four weeks without Challenger action, so we're going to be fine. Uh, but yeah, let's just talk about the Helsinki Challenger first, because this was the Challenger 125 that we had this week. And uh, Corinto Mute won it over Sumit Nagal in the final. And at least one of them being in the final was a massive surprise. I think even two of them, because Corinto Mute, of course, as you guys know, he had this injury at the beginning of the year after Australia, or like more, more so in Australia. And then it took him out for three months. And when he came back, he was playing without his usual backhand, just with a one-hander. And honestly, he's been able to find his way around it very well. Like he has this superb footwork to his to his inside out inside in forehand which he always had obviously that's not new in his game and he tries to hit 90% of his shots off the forehand side anyway plus he also has this excellent slice and in general his touch is really strong so um yeah he's been able to sort of work his way around that but at the same time he actually came into Helsinki on a six match losing streak and that included three challenger losses in a row to Kuzmanov Borg and Per so yeah, it wasn't going that great. He probably will still have to qualify for the Australian Open unless he gets that French Federation wildcard or actually goes on a rampage the next three weeks. But uh, in Helsinki, he beat Cressy. This was actually a revenge for his loss in Rennes recently. Then Belier, then Munar, then Rindernech, and then Nagal. So even beating Cressy and Belier, I think, was pretty huge because, as I said, I mean, he has a one-hander now, and passing off of that has been tough for him. So beating two servant volleyers in a row and in a very clean manner as well was already a bit of a surprise. And then the semi-finals against Rindernech, he was 5-7, 3-5 down. At 5-4, Rindernech has two match points. One of them, Mute defends a smash, which lands just, like, at the... At end of the baseline for um, you know the, the the response from Mute and then they play a very long rally which eventually ends with an with an internet error so a crazy way to survive that match and he actually manages to win the title as well beating Sumit Nagal and uh, yeah maybe let's talk about this is his seventh challenger title by the way and maybe let's just jump straight back to Sumit Nagal because this was a very surprising run. He only played five challengers indoors before in his life and never won uh, more than one match. He won one match in Dramontville 2019. Obviously, he's a bit of a clay bot, although he used to get really good results on hard as well. And uh, has a challenger title on hard from 2017. Uh, this time, though, indoors, he beats Novak, Menchik, Rusuvori, and Travalia. 
So a pretty strong round actually. Rusevori was via retirement, which you know is the is the standout win if if that wasn't the case. But still beating Menshik, Novak, Travalia, indoors, all of them in straights, that was not to be expected. And actually by the time he made the final, I was sort of expecting him to trouble Mute, because um, usually the problem for Nagal indoors would be that he doesn't have a serve, right? Mostly, and also that the fact that you know off the ground he probably would be a little overpowered, given he plays this like high top spin control-ish style. But uh, he actually fared very well against Mute because against Mute these two things are not a problem. So it's like a huge drawn out baseline battle. That's what he enjoys. And for a while it seemed like he might take the title. He was 2-0 up in the third set. Uh, in the third set. Uh, but then he lost six games in a row. Couldn't really like execute this aggressive baseline style indoors with enough efficiency to beat Mute. Uh, but that was yeah still a very cool run and of course. Uh, 75 points coming up Nagal's way, so it's a little as if he won a smaller challenger, right? And yeah, to have this round indoors, definitely quite a shock. And then we also had Stefano Travaglia and Artur Rindernech in the in the semis. Uh, Rindernech, I'm surprised that he withdrew from Danderit after Helsinki, because basically, uh, I'm not sure that his Australian Open main draw is secure. But uh, this was a good run. Like he's been doing this shtick, <laughs> if you may, uh, the last couple of years, where basically he has a very poor first half of the season, and then he jumps straight back into it, and sort of tries to secure his Australian Open main draw that way. Um, this year's is a little weaker though, yeah, and I'm still not sure he's actually certain of that. But in Helsinki, he beat Vavasori, Jumhur, Miller, and then lost to Mute. As I said, I mean, a match he should have won, he had a smash, a pretty easy smash at 7-5-5-4 match point up. Uh, but yeah, he's he's good enough indoors to sort of keep pulling this off, that at the end of the year, if he needs points, he might get them in a, in a big event. Uh, but yeah, se- semi-final, I don't know if that's going to be enough, we'll see. He's like 90-something in the live rankings now, and you know, it's still three more weeks of challengers to go. Uh, yeah, so maybe maybe he's going to be needing a wildcard or to qualify himself into the Australian Open, uh, which yeah would would put um, would put his season in this sort of like uh, yeah not not a great one category. Let's say that um, Stefano Travaglia, though, as we've said many times, he is still capable of playing at that highest level, at that top one hundred level. He just doesn't bring it all that often, honestly. And uh, he was also on a bit of a losing streak here. And in fact, he even lost in the qualifying to Alexi Krutik. Uh, he was, that was five losses in a row already. No, sorry, six with the Krutik one. And then he beats Brody, FCAF, Albot, and loses to Nagal very tamely. That was a disappointing performance because usually you would think that Travalia is the favorite indoors there. But still, of course, a semi of a big challenger is pretty huge for Stefano at the moment. It's just, yeah, recently the results have gotten really inconsistent again. Whereas um, maybe during the clay season you had a semblance of frequency in his peak performances again. But seems like he hasn't been able to recover it uh, just yet. And uh, when it comes to the doubles in Helsinki, we had, uh, again, Andre Begeman and Ensriya Parashi beating Nedun Hezian and Prasam. So... Another final, uh, just like uh, no, sorry, that wasn't the final, but um, 
the, it could have been the final in Ismaning where uh, it could have been Begeman Balaji against Chandra Sekar Prasanth. It, it could have been Free Indians in the final. Here it actually was Free Indians in the final. And Begeman Balaji have just won three challengers in the last uh, four they played. They only lost one to another Indian duo of Bori Pali and Kathe. So um, yeah, quite a quite a surprising run, honestly, from them. But as I talked about in Ismaning, Andre Begeman, a bit of a legend, former doubles 30, number 36, and Sirian Balaji enjoying the best uh, patch of his career. And uh, yeah, they've been able to dominate the last month on the European indoor challenger circuit. And they're also playing Dunderit next week. Um, yeah, that's going to be it for Helsinki then. And after that, we had four challenger 75s. So maybe let's kick things off with Lima, where we had Luciano Darderi beat Mariano Navone in the final. So the thing with Darderi is that he is still in the race to next-gen finals contention. He is actually at 510 points now. Kazo is at 508. And Nardi, who I'm going to talk about later, is at 503. Uh, so there is every chance for Narderi to secure it in the next few weeks, although I think Nardi is a slight favorite. Yeah, despite being seven points away, it's actually kind of surprising that Kazo is not signed up for anything. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know what that is about. Maybe he was injured or something. But yeah, Dardari, he's had a very consistent season. Uh, we've had that patch when he had four semifinals in five events. So he's really racking up the points, maybe without being as flashy as someone like uh, Navona, his final opponent, has been. But uh, this is where he gets his second Charger title all, his, uh, all this year. He has some tough matches against Felbausch, against Tabilo, against Navone. Also beats Varias in the quarterfinals, which is definitely the standout win. And, and uh, to, you know, Varias was the top seed and the favorite in Lima at home. By the way, Varias was my pick for the title. In Helsinki, that was... Uh, who did I pick in Helsinki? I don't think it was like a horrible pick. Was Was it? No, I can't remember now, but um, certainly uh, this week I did not get any points, in case you're interested in that. I, uh, there was one finalist for me in terms of the winner predictions, but I actually didn't get any points. Did I just go Rusuvuori? I think I might have just gone Rusuvuori, who lost to Nagal in the quarterfinals via retirement, as I said, in Helsinki. But anyway, coming back to Lima, uh, yeah, great run for Luciano Dardari. Uh, the final was very competitive too. He had to fend off a bit of a Navona comeback. He had to snap his 14-match win streak and also that perfect 5-0 final record. So, um, yeah, he eventually managed to do that and is getting to a ranking that's going to be pretty high himself. I mean, even by the fact that in the ATP race... Uh, to Jeddah, so like basically the ATP ranking at this point, he is so close to um, to Kazo and to Nardi. So Darderi will have a career high of 124 now, which is just four spots behind the finalist Mariano Navone. And Navone, as we know, has been on an absolute tear since basically June on the challenger circuit. He uh, has won five. This was a chance for his sixth title, but he is 5-1 in finals now in 2023. And this was also his chance to like join the history books because we've got Talon Griekspor with eight titles in a single season in 2021. Uh, but there are just five other players who reached six 
titles in a season. These, these are Yunus El Ainaoui in 1988, 1998, uh, Juan Ignacio Cella in 2001, Facundo Bagnis in 2016, and then Sebastian, uh, Sebastian Baez and Benjamin Bonzi in 2021. So Navone doesn't join them. Maybe he can join them in the next few, few weeks. Who knows? But anyway, he beat Coria. So he plays Coria again after recently meeting him in the Buenos Aires final. And this time it's an opening round and he still gets out of it. I think this is now 3-0 and zero against Korea this year? Yeah, 3-0 against Korea this year for him, which is a very impressive record. Then he beats Guillen Meza, Andreozzi, Comesania. So another matchup that has been happening so many times. Tenth meeting already since 2019, fifth this year. And actually Comesania used to lead this 6-0 and Navone won the last four matches, including the Santa Cruz final where he produced a big comeback. This time he also loses the opening set, but you know, he has so much confidence right now and Navona is just such an impressive player at the moment. I cannot really um, speak about his like improvement for of the, in the past month or, uh, well, in the past three or four months or so, because he, um, he just has been ridiculous. The forehand angles he produces, the defensive resources he has, the speed, the backhand, especially when he hits it just waist high and just ramps up the pace out of nowhere. Uh, and he plays such confident tennis as well, um, you know, given that he's on such, an, such a ridiculous run. Uh, it's going to be so exciting to see if that continues in 2024. And also how he performs, you know, on hard indoors, whether he's able to produce something there, because maybe his days of not of playing just clay are coming to an end since he might have a ranking soon where well he was already in Wimbledon and US Open qualies of course this year and did not perform definitely not and he actually only has nine matches of clay in his entire career so uh, that's gonna be a little wild for sure and um, yeah of course he's he's also in Montevideo next week uh, and his career high as I said is now 120 so he's four spots over Luciano Darderi and the semi-finalists, Alejandro Tabilo, Francisco Comesania. Tabilo coming off that title in Guayaquil, so it's perfectly fine for him to lose to Darderi in the semis. Still a very strong patch, I would say, together with that uh, Guayaquil title. He's also going to be aiming to return to the top 100 very soon. He is at 104 right now, so really, really coming very close. And yeah, just a solid run. Uh, beat free, uh, pretty easy opponents, I would say, to get to the semis, loses to Darderi in a good free set battle. And Francisco Comesania, uh, we've been talking about him just having a number of uh, deep runs this year with also, also titles, also finals. This is another one of them, and he actually had one of the toughest uh, paths to get there because he had to beat Elias Imer in the second round and then Daniel Elahi Galan in the quarters. And he loses to Navone in the semis, which, again, this is his fourth loss against Navone. Must feel weird to, you know, having having led the guy 6-0 and now it's 6-4. So basically we are still in tennis territory, in tennis and scoreline territory, but, you know, it's it's so much more competitive now. And it's been one of the most exciting matchups and rivalries of the year on the Challenger Tour for sure. If we do this, uh, like in the off-season, we're going to be talking about our favorite rivalries, which I think we might. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's going to be an episode um, on the um, other Crack Rackets show, so the mini break with uh, Alex, uh, when we, we did that last year, when uh, we sort of gave out Challenger Awards, 
And I think if uh, if Alex includes the rivalry category, which I believe he did last year, Comesania Navone, uh, that's probably gonna be my pick. Not gonna lie. And then the doubles title was actually a Brazilian duo of Mateo Mateus Alves and Eduardo Ribeiro. Makes sense to me. I mean, they are very underrated, but uh, certainly a couple of very good wins for them, especially against Italgo Rodriguez. But in the final, they defeated Barrientos Luz. So. You know, another very good showing. I mean, Barrientos is still in the top 100 in doubles. And um, yeah, that's going to be it for Lima. We have three more 75s to cover. Let's maybe save America for last. So let's go to Matsuyama now. And this is where I had my finalist um, from the winner predictions, which was Taro Daniel. And for a while, it also seemed like he might claim the title. But it's Luca Nardi who uh, takes it. He uh, beats Taro Daniel in the final. And Luca Nardi, you know, he decided to play the whole Japanese swing, and I think it's a fantastic decision. Uh, Nardi also late, later, uh, sorry, earlier in the year, he also had that Indian swing, right? So he, he knows that he could schedule himself for these kind of hardcore events, which are a little weaker and probably come out of it with some good results. And uh, yeah, I think by this point, you sort of really start believing again that Nardi should break the top 100 in 2024. I mean, we were all thinking that he's probably going to do it in 2023, but now he's going to be in a pretty good position, given that, you know, in the first few months of the year, other than that one run in India, he doesn't have all that much to defend. So yeah, I like his chances to do it. I don't know if this year, because this year he would have to, yeah, just keep going like this on the Japanese swing. And of course, week after week, it's not going to be that easy. But this one was a, was a great run. He beat Hong, McCabe, Yunchao Kete, Blancano and Taro Daniel. Against Taro Daniel, he was 3-6, 0-3 down. Maybe it's when the fatigue sort of started kicking in for Taro, who knows. But uh, certainly Nardi was very bullish with his forehand and I loved how he... Uh, yeah, how he just was sustained, uh, how, how the sort of aggression that he was able to sustain in the uh, last set and a half. Uh, he, he really dominated that match with his forehand against Taro, which, wasn't able, which he wasn't able to do in the first stages of it. And uh, Taro, speaking of Taro Daniel, he actually finishes his season with this. He uh, played uh, three challengers in a row, uh, which in recent years hasn't been common for him. But when we interviewed him in Braunschweig, we had Taro on the show twice, once in Cagliari this year and Braunschweig 2022. So in Braunschweig, he said that he sort of plays a very ATP heavy schedule now because he feels like at this stage of his career, you know, when he's almost, uh, actually he's already 30, but when, he, when we are talking about it, he was 29. He doesn't feel like chasing points anymore which you might consider a little weird because you know that would ensure his slam finishes and uh, sorry slam uh, main draw spots and top 100 finishes and etc but now he actually plays a challenger three week challenger swing and he gets 155 points in three weeks and he will definitely finish in the top 100 he earns enough points to do it and he should um and he's uh, and he's placed in the Australian Open as well. So he got what he wanted. So that's why he's not playing the next event that he was also scheduled for. And uh, yeah, he, he he of course he made the semis in Playford, won Sydney, and then lost the final in Matsuyama. A bit of a tough run, uh, not really because he uh, you know the opposition was as good as Nardi's, but against Yusuzu in the quarters he was pushed really hard, and then he also had to play August Holmgren on the same day. But every single semi-finalist was in that same position, uh, so yeah, just led again led Nardi in the final. Doesn't quite get the title, but still a very good run for him. And then the semi-finalists were actually Jeffrey Blancano, 
out of nowhere, honestly. This year he had the final in Tunis in May, but other than that, I think he only had one other semi-final. Yeah, Quimper in January, so this definitely hasn't been a season where Blancano made any progress, but I think we kind of expected it, that, uh, you know, his career high of 134, yeah, that was maybe a little much for now at least. Um, so here he beats Shintaro Mochizuki in the second round, which was a good win, and also Benjamin Hassan in the quarters. I think these two, you know, taking out these two is, are actually very solid victories now with how they've been playing. And then he loses to Nardi in the semis. Um, yeah, pretty convincing uh, win for the Italian. And August Holmgren, uh, the Danish former college player, he manages to make the semis here. He actually won an ITF just before that. Uh, with a pretty weak field, where he was the favorite in every single match, but still, uh, obviously we've had him in the Braunschweig quarters earlier this year when we talked about him a bit, and uh, here he also goes on uh, a pretty good run. Maybe this Japanese swing is going to be like a big breakthrough moment for Hongren. He he does have the game for it, uh, really aggressive and and exciting as well. So he beats Gerasimov in the court in the qualifying, and then Polmans Uchiyama Edukovic. So a very strong run. And he loses to Taro Daniel in the semis. Uh, just like Taro Daniel, he had a free setter earlier that day and um, still pushed Taro in the opening set. And he has already, by the way, qualified for Kobe. So, yeah, this could be a, a breakthrough swing for Holmgren. Absolutely. Um, yes, and we also have to talk about the doubles in Matsuyama, which were won by Karol Żywiecki and Zdenek Kolasz over Toshihide Matsui and... Um, Kaito Wesugi. So this is one of my, uh, yeah, this is one of my favorite doubles finals, I guess, of all time, you know, Drzewiecki, Kolasz, Kolasz, the um, legend of this podcast, the legend, the legend of the Challenger Tour in doubles, because he has like, what, 20 titles by now? I actually have to count. I think it's gonna be like 20 or 19. Yeah, this is his 20th title in the Challenger circuit, which is still quite wild to me, because he, like, he is perfectly serviceable, let's say, as a doubles player, but he just doesn't strike you as that sort of guy with this potential. But anyway, he's 6-0 and zero with Drzewiecki now. They've won two titles together, Lisbon last month, and now Matsuyama. So a very nice uh, a very nice showing for them in these two uh, affairs. And yeah, Ma- Ma- Matsui Uesugi, of course, we are all rooting for them because Matsui is basically playing the best tennis of his career at the age of 45, is the oldest player in the ATP singles ranking, is the second oldest player in the ATP doubles ranking. So yeah, it's a, it's a very fun story anytime they go deep. And of course, it was great to see them pull off a title late earlier this year in Porto. And they've made many finals. I mean, uh, yeah, six finals this year. So uh, impressive stuff from the Japanese duo for sure. And uh, yeah, let's now head over to the States and, well, basically North America. Let's maybe start with Knoxville, where Alex Mikkelsen won the uh, won his second Charger title uh, over Dennis Kudla. So the thing about Alex Mikkelsen is that he breaks the top 100 now. I'm not sure this is quite enough to secure his Australian Open main draw. I think he might still have to, um, you know, do well in Champagne. But he also could be a strong candidate to just clinch the Australian Open wildcard challenge, right? If, if, if that isn't the case. I actually haven't done the calculations yet. You're probably going to see me see it on, t- on my Twitter, like middle of the week, when we get some players out of Champagne and, you know, it's just going to be a, a three-way, four-way or whatever race for that final, for that Australian Open major wildcard uh, that the USTA gives out this way. 
But anyway, uh, yeah, Alex Mikkelsen, if he doesn't get into the Australian Open automatically, he should have a very good sh- good chance there. He beat Bernie Tomic in the opening round, which was actually very competitive and a, and a good match. Then he beats Gabriel De Bru, Nishesh Basavaredi, that he exacted revenge on him after Fairfield, and then beats Tennis Sandgren and Denis Kudla. And it's so good to see it because he uh, had a couple of uh, weaker weeks. And I remember saying that I was going to just pick Alex Mikkelsen every single time because I feel like if he plays enough American challengers until the end of the year, he definitely wins at least one of them. And you know when I stopped doing that? In Knoxville, this week, literally. Because after the last few losses, I just was not convinced. And he didn't seem to be playing as well as he was when he made the finals in Newport or Chicago. Yeah, so obviously it happened. And I think you even called it. I said, you know, the moment I'm going to stop picking Mickelson, he wins the title. Uh, who did I pick, by the way, here even? Um, I think this was one of my weaker ones here. Uh, oh yeah, Kovacevic, who lost to Holt in the opening round. Very disappointing loss, uh, especially given that he also is chasing the top 100 and the Australian Open um, at the end of the year. So yeah, Mik- Mikkelsen finally with a good performance. In the final against Kudla, it got a little complicated, but he was always the one who just was... It was so much easier for him to dictate and pull the trigger. He uh, was overwhelming Kudla a little bit. Like It was just really tough for Dennis to stay on top a lot of the time. And that's not common for Kudla as well. But yeah, Mikkelsen just has a very strong serve and overall package of his baseline game. Yeah, it's really impressive. He basically has had like a Ben Shelton type of rise, you know, in 2023. Um, ben Shelton 2022, of course. I don't think he has quite the same ceiling, but if we see him develop into a full-on main tour player, why not? And of course, I didn't see him on... Uh, I didn't have him on my top 100 for 2023 list because, yeah, it was just impossible. Um, he was outside the top 500. He was committed to college in the summer. But, you know, as it turns out, his career is actually going to take a very different course. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited for it for sure. This has been a tremendous rise, and I wish he got as, you know, half as much publicity as Ben Shelton did. Um, Yeah, and then we have Dennis Kudla. So Dennis Kudla, the finalist, he recently won the title in Columbus, of course, which was uh, really good. Like, that was the Ohio State courts and uh, very fast, low-bouncing, excellent for Kudla. This still an indoor hard court, you know, it's it's not quite as good for him, but obviously he is a player who is who has been able to uh, succeed in uh, any conditions, really, on the Challenger circuit in the past, maybe outside of clay. And um, yeah, he beats Kipson, Dam, McHugh, Nava and loses to Mikkelsen. So a, a big round for Kudla, whose season obviously has been very mediocre, especially compared even to the previous two, the, 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 two, the two previous ones. But um, yeah, at the end of the year, he is putting in some good wins. And he actually beat Kipson after losing to him in Charlottesville and taking just four games. So good one for him there as well. And the semi-finalist, Emilio Nava, this was actually a very nice win for him because he showed some sort of consistency and that's something that Nava definitely strides for and like he has that top 100 peak for sure. I don't know if he'll ever get there though because he's just so wild. But this time he beats Serdarusic, Kasone, Spida all in straight sets and loses to Kudla. But this was like a very uh, composed week from Emilio Nava and I, I actually enjoyed his performance quite a lot. Obviously, he's had some big highlights this year with the Challenger title in Modena, with the Challenger final in Stanford. But um, yeah, 
to, to sort of have him pull off these kind of runs on a regular basis, where the wins are so routine and then he loses to a good player, like th- that would be um, something that could really elevate his game to the next level. And Tennis Sandgren in the semis as well, yeah, he can still play from time to time, he gets a, a big run. He beats Ethan Quinn in the, in the opening round, which was a very wild match. Then he defeats Holt, Richard, and loses to Mikkelsen in the third set in the semis. Nothing wrong about that, of course. So, yeah, great round from Sandgren. Earlier in the year, he had a couple of other semifinals. Actually, he, this is his fourth. But all in all, you know, he's still kind of struggling and might be um, unable to get the get to the Australian Open qualities if, if this continues. I think this is actually very similar to his last year's campaign, right? Where he practically uh, missed out on, on the Australian Open qualities. 255th in the rankings now. So yes, it's it's surely not going to be easy uh, for Tennis Sandgren to be back in Melbourne. Which, as I uh, as I said, I think this year, I th- yeah, he missed out on it and just played the non-taburi swing in th- in Thailand, which was actually really good for him. He made two quarterfinals and lost to Kazob of times. Um, yeah, and also in the doubles in uh, Knoxville, we had uh, Canon Kingsley uh, playing with Luis David Martinez. That's a surprising pairing there, but they won the title, not losing a set. So kudos to them. I mean, the combination of them is kind of surprising. But uh, the finals, uh, the final opponents were Mark Kiger, so the guy who recently played with Rinki Jikata, I think, and uh, Mitchell Kruger. Uh, yes, and then when it comes to the last Challenger 75 that we had, the last Challenger of the week, it was Calgary. It was actually the last one that uh, finished as well, about seven hours from uh, ago from when I'm recording this. And Liam Drax beat Dominic Kepfer. So a very surprising first-time winner there, Liam Drax, uh, a former college player for University of Kentucky. He graduated this year. He is 35 and 8 since, so a ridiculous run. He won two ITF titles. He made a further three finals. He played Toronto Qualies and had a very good match against Diego Schwartzman. And this was his just his second challenger appearance this year after Palmas del Mar when he made the quarters. And now he wins the title. Uh, yeah, I'm stunned by this run, honestly. He beats Copeyan, Savi, Montes de la Torre, Martin, and then Kepfer in the final. So outside of the final, maybe not the strongest run. But, yeah, I mean, uh, to, to, to get that, uh, especially as a player whom I sort of considered a hustler, a grinder, you know, he, he, he had a lot of grit, especially in the matches of his that I watched, which admittedly were mostly in 2022. But, um, yeah, it just didn't seem like the sort of explosive potential that he showed this week, which maybe is the the fact that he played in front of the home crowd, you know, was just bolder, braver. We'll see about that in the in the next few weeks, probably, uh, because he gets a, a special exam to Dra- Drummondville now. But, yeah, to, to get this sort of a run, I think it was really impressive from Draxel. And uh, the final against Kepfer, yeah, again, he just played inspired tennis, especially when it mattered. But Kepfer's 0-4 patch in the second set, like, that was just shocking. I do not understand what happened to him there. Uh, but anyway, uh, Liam Draxel, uh, first career title on the challenger level. He will actually break the top 300 and basically jump over 100 spots in the ATP rankings. So, um, yeah, excited to see if this continues because this was a very different version of his game than the one I was accustomed to. So I cannot really, you know feel confident that will continue but of course it's it's up to him 
Dominic Kepfer was the defending t- uh, champion in Drummondville, and for the first three matches, it just seemed like he must defend his title. Like he's just so so much better than the opposition. Uh, Charles Broom, Clemo Schidek, and Zizou Bergs couldn't do anything to him. Gabriel Diallo in the semis, by the way, a rematch of last year's semi, but actually it didn't happen because Diallo withdrew. And then he loses to Liam Drax, and as I said, the second set was just shocking. It's been a good run, of course, for Kepfer this year to re-establish himself in the top 100, but from time to time he just throws in this performance. Like last year he also had this carry run when he lost to Michael Moe, and um, yeah, that was that, that one I remember was similarly shocking in, in how poor that match was. So, uh, yeah, from time to time he just has this sort of a thing. But obviously this has been a very good year for him anyway. He has won two Challenger titles in Turin, the 175, and in Mexico as well, the 125. So 300 points from these two events only. And uh, Gabriel Diallo in the semis, um, yeah, nice run. He had a tough opening draw against Paulson and then Joao Souza. He beats Aziz Dugas in the quarters, and he has to withdraw against Kepfer because of an injury he sustained along the way. Uh, so disappointing for him not to be able to continue. We'll see if he's in Drummondville, but certainly a, a very strong run anyway. And that last, um, let's say, month or so has been really consistent from Diallo. And sort of similarly to Nava, that's more or less what would, what could elevate his game right now because the the weaponry, the top 100 potential is, is certainly there. And Andres Martin also another college player from uh, Georgia Tech, I think, right? Uh, he uh, beat Kokinakis in Atlanta last year, which was a, a standout result. Recently getting some good uh, ITF runs himself. He won his first uh, title, actually, at the end of September. I think it was in Monastir. Uh, so, yeah, not entirely surprising, but still uh, beating Pennystone, Samuel and Enzo Wallert, especially the Pennystone win. I think this was a very nice run for him. And he lost to Drax in the semis in the... Um, yeah, in, in just a tight free setter. So, again, perfectly fine. And, uh, yeah, when it comes to the doubles in um, Calgary... Oh, and by the way, who did I have for the title here? I think I had Gabriel Diallo. So, yeah, my, my pick is excused here because he withdrew before the semifinals. I wonder if he would have won the title, you know. If he beats Kepfer, he probably beats Drax, I guess. Although that would have been a good story because both Drax and Diallo come from University of Kentucky, so... Yeah, that would have been a really nice uh, story. And they're actually like friends and practice together a lot. I saw a quote from Drax who said that um, playing with him and sort of seeing that he's at a similar level gives him a lot of confidence because of what Gabriel has been able to achieve. And uh, the doubles, uh, they were actually won by another quite surprising Canadian pairing. So Juan Carlos Aguilar, Justin Justin Boulet, Boulet college player, Aguilar, I'm actually not sure. Uh, if he also played college, probably yes, right? Uh, Boulet for the Ohio State, I believe. And in the final, they beat Broom and uh, ben, uh, Charles Broom and Ben Jones. So uh, a breed pairing. Definitely a low sort of profile challenger final in Calgary. But that was uh, due to the fact that, you know, the, the more common pairings went out. So Segerman Trach, they their, their run finally was snapped by Savile and Two. Savile and Two were actually the ones who also eliminated matuszewski Wechnel, so the first seeds. Paulson Vrbenski lost to Broom-Jones. And uh, yeah, then Broom-Jones also delivered the 6-4-6-0 upset over Luke Savile and Nitu, which certainly surprised me. And 
And yeah, Gabriel Diara also pulled out from the semis where he was playing with Zizou Berks. So yeah, Aguilar Boulet with the title in Calgary. And this is where we get to match and upset of the week. So regarding the match of the week, as usual, I placed my, you know, I put out the poll on Twitter. It actually has quite a lot of votes already after seven hours. I'm surprised. Maybe, maybe there's like you know more interest in it right now, which would be cool. And uh, yeah, the one leading is actually Mute against Rinderneck at the moment, the the semi final in Helsinki. I thought that probably uh, the pick that people were gonna go for was gonna be Darderi Navone. Because, yeah, people just seem to love finals and probably they just watch more finals than they do matches along the way. Uh, I also included Diallo against Souza and Sandgren versus Queen. There were some other selections, but um, yeah, basically I think I'm going to go with Darderi Navone. I just said that people love finals. I love finals too, and I think it was a very fitting way to end the week, especially with the little comeback attempt from At- uh, Navone in the third set. It got really exciting, and I wish I had like... Um, you know, I was able to follow it more closely, which I, I still watched it, but I was actually um, doing um, the, well, I was actually like doing some multitasking at the same time and watching Rune Djokovic. So, uh, you know, my, my attention was a little split. Uh, I, I wish my attention could have been directed more at uh, Navone and Darneri because it was a very good final and a fitting way to end the week, 100%. And uh, yeah, when it comes to upset of the week, let's look at what we had. So Nagal Rusufwari, of course, we're not con- we're not taking that because that was a retirement. Same for Belia against Mahaj. Uh, Yevsiyev against Virtanen. Yeah, that was a shocking loss for Virtanen in Helsinki. Not that I don't consider Yevsiyev a player with upset potential or a player with yeah just a good indoor game in general because he actually has it. Uh, like he, he's just so underrated in general, but um, yeah, just the fact that Virtanen sort of you know it's it's a part of the season where he needs to do well. It's his event at home, and yeah, he loses to FCF, so I might consider picking that. Uh, in Lima, there was Huertas Del Pino beating Diaz Acosta. I didn't watch it, but like if Arclon, I think it was Arclon because actually both Huertas, no sorry Connor, because both Huertas Del Pino brothers um, scored big wins, and that's why I'm confused. Uh, Arclon beat uh, Oliver Crawford, so this is another upset of the week contender actually. But uh, yeah, Huertas Del Pino beating Diaz Acosta six two six two. I didn't watch it, so I'm sort of assuming there must have been something wrong with Facundo uh, to get this sort of a scoreline, right? Uh, something wrong in terms of you know physica- physically. Matsuyama no no real upsets. Uh, Knoxville we had yeah not not much happening either in terms of that. And Calgary I guess yeah Martin beating Penniston. I don't think it's as huge as the odds as the bookmakers say. So yeah I think I'm just gonna have to go with Huertas del Pino Diaz Acosta anyway since I didn't get to see it and yeah I'm I'm, I'm still confused about what happened. And to their credit, I mean, uh, Arklon and, Wer- and Conor Huertas del Pino actually did pretty well in the next round as well. Conor had a competitive match with Tabilo winning seven games. And uh, Arklon actually even won a set against Guido Andreozzi. So uh, really good stuff from the Peruvian duo here in the Lima Challenger, in the Challenger at home, in the singles. Because in the doubles, I think they lost fairly early, didn't they? Uh, Huertas del Pino, well, quarterfinal loss to Barrientos Luz, so I think it was also uh, perfectly fine, of course, for them. Uh, they lost to a strong pairing. And with that, we can get to the previews. So, we, as usual, recently we have five challengers to talk about. Only one of them is a challenger 100, the rest are challenger 75s. 
So actually I'm at an event this week, as you can imagine the European one, but uh, we will start from Montevideo since it's the biggest one. And uh, Genaro Alberto Olivieri is the defending champ, but he's actually not defending his title, which is quite surprising. But he hasn't played since injuring himself in Santa Fe, so probably he's just still not healthy. And um, yeah, that last year was that beautiful final between Olivieri and Dechoveri, 3 hours 31 minutes. So anyway, the top seed here is Pedro Cachin. Um, I haven't checked that, but I'm assuming that Pedro Cachin does not, yeah, he doesn't really need the points to secure his top 100, so I guess he just wants to end his season with a big challenger here on clay. He plays a qualifier and then Haide or Caru. Caru, of course, with a wildcard, uh, the Uruguayan. Uh, Francisco Comesania plays Eduardo Lovano in the opening round and then Androtti Urbagnis, so that's a strong section. We've got Facundo Diaz Acosta starting against Gianessi, then Agamemnon qualifier, and then Tirante Buruchaga, nice opening opener too, uh, and uh, one of them can face Darderi or a qualifier, so we'll see how Darderi goes in his next-gen finals um, you know, campaign. Uh, well, the campaign to chase that last spot, as Nardi is also in Kobe. Uh, Ugo Dalian, 6th seed, plays Oriol Rocabataya and then Navone are the qualifiers, so Navone is still unseeded at Challengers, wow. Uh, Thomas Barrios Vera, 3rd seed, he actually has a wonderful draw here because he starts against Joaquin Aguilar Cardozo and then Roncadelli or Colarini. So basically if Barrios Vera is gonna get that top 100, which at some point just seemed like a foregone, like, it just seemed like he has to do it because he has nothing to defend in the second half of the year, but his form, his form just dropped off a cliff. Uh, yeah, if, if he's gonna pull it off, it might be this week. And then we also have Meligani Alves playing Imer and second seed Korea is playing Ugo Carabelli. And this section is super strong because we also have two qualifiers in there and Tabilo and Monteiro. So Tabilo Monteiro, second round, I mean, I'm all for it. And um, yeah, when it comes to the qualifying, is there anyone who can really threaten them? Uh, Rodriguez Taverna, uh, Murkel Delian playing uh, Gerard Campania Lee. I like that one in the second round for sure today. Olivo Guillen-Meza, another really good match. Tristan Boyer. Huh? Yeah, I mean, the qualifying here is pretty strong. Gustavo Elias playing Max Hokes, Vashro Sakamoto. Yeah, I would love to see that uh, whole day of Monte Montevideo final round qualifying. That's really good, actually. Uh, but yeah, let me let me think of the, my winner pick here. So Pedro Cachin as the top seed. Uh, yeah, seems doable, but Montevideo, well, it's a decent event for him, I think, but yeah, it's not quite the altitude, fast tennis that he has been mostly successful in this year, so yeah, I don't think I'm going to pick him. Diaz Acosta, after last week's loss, probably not a contender. Um, I think I might just be going for Delian, although Roca Bataya is kind of scary, but I don't know if Roca Bataya actually likes these South American courts as much as as um, yeah the ones in Europe where he really was so dangerous recently. Delian coming off a couple of losses to Ugo Carabelli and Galan, and pretty tame ones as well, and Navona in the second round. I don't think I can do it. Barrios Vera, I think, easily can reach the quarters, but he will he actually win the title? I don't know. So you know what? Actually, I think I'm going to go with Pedro Cachin after all. I don't know how much motivation he's going to have to play this event since, you know, he's basically wrapping up his season here. He is deep into the top 100 anyway. Uh, but yeah, I just don't feel like going for Delian with Navona in the second round and also Tabilo, that Tabilo Monteiro 
Meligeni Alves, Imer, Uko Karabelli, Korea section. It's just ridiculous. So I can't really go for any player there, even though I, I, I could easily pick Monteiro, for example. So yeah, I think I'm just going to go with the boring option of the top seed in Kachin, because I think this draw is really strong. It's hard to know what's going to happen. So as I said, I am at an event. I am in Danderit, in at the Good to Great Challenger. It's held in the Good to Great uh, Tennis Academy, or the Norion Bank Arena. And it's actually a beautiful venue. I was really stunned by it. It looks so high profile. You've got seven courts like, just right next to each other. Uh, from the viewing perspective, it should be really good too. So obviously at the end of, uh, you know, in the next episode, you, could ex you can expect some additional content from that event. And uh, this is my eighth challenger trip of the season, eighth and last. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad with the amounts that I managed to, to do this year. Uh, we just had the first day of the qualifying here in Danderit, which actually wasn't that exciting. I think all matches ended in straight sets, and also many of them were like really lopsided. Uh, but that led to a very short day, which allowed me to get back to the hotel and watch the other challenger finals. So, you know, that was, that was pretty okay. Um, but, but from today, I want really exciting matches and, and drawn-out clashes. Uh, actually, in the final qualifying round, we've got Billy Harris against Alexander Blocks, and you know the form that Harris is in recently, and Blocks winning uh, the Australian Open in juniors this year, and also having some—I uh, think he's on back-to-back -back 25k titles. I'm actually not sure if he's played since. Yeah, he hasn't. So, uh, yeah, clearly a super exciting um, match there in the final qualifying round. Harris probably looked—I hmm, guess he had a rough second set yesterday. I wanted to say that he looked better because Blocks kind of struggled with Guerrieri, but um, not really the case, I guess. Kachmazov as well, the recent Ismaning's quarterfinalist is here. Petrnoza, will he finally make the sort of impact that I think he can, even though he sort of plays this just, you know, as an alternate to the doubles. And also Pierre Igerber, who I think should be beating Mika Brunholz today and uh, is very likely yeah, to, to qualify and maybe do some damage in the main draw. You know, he's just coming off mid semis. Uh, met the ATP 250 event, so we'll see if how much he has in the tank. But anyway, uh, who is my pick in good to great? Uh, the good to great challenger, and who is uh, actually in the draw? So we've got Hugo Gaston as the top seed playing Corentin Mutel, last week's Helsinki winner. Uh, then uh, one of them will face a qualifier. Jakub Menschik faces Max Dalin. Max Dalin, a uh, talented uh, Swedish junior. He is 17, he won the US Open boys doubles this year with an Estonian, Oliver Oyakar. So excited to watch him, especially as Menchik hasn't been doing that well recently. But here's Hamad Medjedovic, fifth seed, playing Stefano Travaglia, and I think this could be a very important event for Medjedovic. David Goffin, the fourth seed, plays a qualifier and then Ridi or a qualifier. So that's going to be an exciting second round if they get to play Goffin and Ridi. Ridi actually needs points to secure his uh, Australian Open main draw. I mean, Australian Open qualifying, which might seem seem wild to you, but he's going to be dropping lots of points soon. He won back-to-back -back titles around this time last year, and he actually is no way, uh, in no way certain of being in the Australian Open qualies unless he picks up more points, which is just so disappointing, but... You know, I think the injuries at the beginning of the season really stopped him in his tracks. And then there's also Brandon Nakashima, the eighth seed, who I think will go deep here as well, playing Jan Hoinski and then Yevsie for Freeberg. So I would assume that Nakashima is very likely to make the quarters here. Uh, Radu Albot, seventh seed, plays Francesco Passaro, then Kukushkin or Krutik. Uh, we've got Leo Borg playing Goffi or Klen. Maybe a winnable uh, match for Leo. 
and um, Flavio Coboli, third seed, plays Gir Arnaud Bailly, the Belgian junior with two Grand Slam, um, Grand Slam runner-up uh, runner appearances in the juniors, who recently announced uh, that he's going to college, actually. And uh, Maxim Cressy, sixth seed, plays sixth seed plays Jorins Delor, and uh, then Damir Junkurare qualifier. And we also have this German clash between Oskar Otte and Maximilian Marterer. Both of them we had on the show in uh, Ismaning. Maybe we'll get one of them later as well. Uh, one of them can play Arthur Ferry or a qualifier in the second round. Very excited to watch Ferry live. He's one of the few players here that I had not watched live yet. I think it's probably Ferry, Goffier on Klen. Uh, maybe Radu Albot. It's possible that I haven't seen Radu Albot, although I'm not sure now. I wonder if I've seen Kukushkin live, and it's possible I haven't. Uh, but otherwise, other than that, I probably watched all of these guys. Well, Max Dalin I haven't seen, and I guess Reedy as well, maybe? Yeah, I think maybe maybe I haven't seen Reedy live. So like six of them in the, in the main row probably. And uh, definitely Arthur Ferry is, is one of them that I'm the, the most excited for. And Reedy, I don't think I've seen live either. So him as well. And the Kukushkin flat ball striking too. So yeah, exciting times anyway. And um, yeah, in Dandarit, who am I picking? As I said, I feel like Majerovic might have a good event. Uh, Nakashima, I said he's really likely to get to the quarters, but then he would play Kofem or Reedy and then potentially maybe Majerovic. I mean, this is a very strong event because despite being a challenger 75, it's of course the only one in Europe this week. So yeah, that's why the field is good. It actually was supposed to be like ridiculous, but there's been a number of withdrawals, which I think at the end of the year is, is, is just very common that players decide, okay, so that's it for my season. I have what I wanted. Um, that third quarter looks pretty weak, honestly. Albot, Passaro, Kukushkin, Krutek, Borg, Onklem, Bailly, Koboli. Neither of these like a particularly strong indoor hard player. Uh, well, maybe Albot um, or Kukushkin. Yeah, Kukushkin in good form, maybe. Um, yeah, I think I'm gonna go with Medvedovic to win this and secure his top 100 debut. That's that's my prediction. Um, let's see. I mean, Medvedovic could have some very exciting matches here. He plays Travalia, then potentially Menchik, and then like one of Gaston Mute. And then potentially one of Gofeu Nakashima. Like, it would be a super strong round. But Hamad is capable of this, right? I think he is. Um, yeah, let's maybe do this similarly as the reviews, where we're just going to go to Japan now and then finish it off in the North America. In North America. So in Kobe, we have Yosuke Watanuki as the defending champion, but he actually isn't playing. Um, I'm kind of surprised by that because Kobe has been like his fa most favorite place in the world in terms of challengers. He won it twice. He made the final in 2018, even when he wasn't that good yet. He was already uh, making major a major impact in that event. So basically, we've got Yuri Rodionov as the top seed playing Yasutaka Uchiyama. It's already quite tough for Rodionov. And we have the qualifiers here, by the way, already inserted, because I'm recording this on Monday morning. So we also have one match in the first round that has already finished. So Ito, Tatsuma Ito. Ooh, Tatsuma Ito is here. He plays Yuta Shimizu. I'm excited to watch Tatsuma Ito again, uh, because I feel like this year, even though he has played a bit, uh, even some challenger qualifying, you know, I haven't really... You know, we haven't had a challenger main draw win from him. I haven't had much of a chance to watch him. So I, I would love to uh, catch that match against Yutashi Mizu here. Um, Duya Edukovic, Moes Esfatiu, uh, Yu Su plays Yun Chaketa. I actually think Yun Chaketa withdrew though, uh, didn't he? 
I, I'm pretty sure I just saw that Yun Chao Kete withdraw, withdrew, so uh, anyway, not looking at him here. Benjamin Hassan plays James McCabe and then Tunglin Wu, because Tunglin Wu already beat Sweeney. We've got Zdenek Kolasz playing Jason Jung and Yen Seong Chong playing Renta Tokuda. Mark Polmans against Fenty. Uh, Andres Martin plays Blanca No, so they both made Charger semis last week, right? But in different places, I think, because Blanca No was in uh, Japan and Martin was in Canada. And uh, August Hongren, the semi-final, another semi-finalist from last week, plays Ekargui, and then Nardi, uh, the third seed, plays Ichikawa. Shoshima Bukuro plays Kaichi Uchida, and then Seong Chan Hong in the second round. Hong is another player who is already in the second round, beating Jasika. And we also have Shintaro Mochizuki as the second seed, playing Fonio, and then Ivanovski or Bai. So who... Uh, Yan Bai, not Jian no Bai. <laughs> And uh, yeah, who am I going for here? Uh, Rodionov doesn't really spike me with a lot of confidence. I also think he has a potentially tricky draw. Uh, this one is pretty tough to pick out from because at first glance you just sort of think of Nardi or Mochizuki. Uh, Mochizuki, I do think that his Tokyo run is a bit of an outlier, but he is capable in this sort of a draw. Huh. And I like his first two rounds. And do I want to pick Nardi? Uh, yeah, like with Nardi, my only concern is the fatigue, really. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Shintaro Mochizuki to win this title. Um, it's kind of not my style because you know usually I said that Mochizuki is probably a little well overrated at the moment given his Tokyo ATP 500 run. But yeah, I'm actually still gonna pick him here because I like the draw for him in the first two rounds, and this is the sort of draw quality where I think he could easily do well. And uh, yeah, with that we also go to Champagne and uh, Drummondville. So in Champagne, of course, the defending champ is Ben Shelton, but he's not playing. He wouldn't be able to join the event even with his current ranking. And the top seed is Alexander Kovacevic playing the qualifier, then Kozdov or Ozolins. We've got Patrick Kipson qualifier uh, and then uh, qualifier or Kenta Miyoshi. I don't know Kenta Miyoshi. I guess he must be a college player because he got a wildcard here. Emilio Nava plays Ethan Quinn, uh, then Karlovski or Kishheimer. There's Baby Zhukayev starting against Dalavae. I mean, maybe Zhukayev can go deep here, you know? He has a nice draw, it seems. Second round against Aidan Mayo, so a rematch of the recent Challenger final. Uh, or Sertarusic. Fifth seed, Denis Kudla plays Mitchell Kruger, and then Chris Rodesh on a qualifier. There's Tito Androgev starting against Viktor Durasovic, and then potentially playing Brendan... Um, not Brendan, but... Um, Brandon Holt, of course, and uh, then a qualifier, uh, or a qualifier, I mean. Martin Dam is the eighth seed playing a qualifier, then Debru or Rosenkrantz, and we have another Tomic Mikkelsen in the opening round, then McHugh or Fanslow. Um, so let's see, qualifying draw, I think, uh, yeah, Ivan Zhu, Keegan Smith, Marfi Kasson against Alex Rybakov, that's one I would like to watch, Inaki Montes de la Torre, yeah, he, he could go deep as well, but probably not win the title, I think that the top seeds here are really strong, obviously Nava isn't really a peak because he plays queen in the opening round, that's, that's a very tight match, um, Martin Dam, no, that's too risky. I think I'm mostly looking at these two guys who are fighting to secure the Australian Open main draw. So Alexander Kovacevic and Alex Mikkelsen. Kovacevic, of course, coming off a disappointing loss. I think he'll be hoping to recover, especially for Brasilia and Temuco, which will be big opportunities for him, given that, you know, the field is so full of clay specialists there. But this also could be a great event for him. 
And you know what? I am actually going to pick Alexander Kovacevic again, I think. Despite his first round exit last week, I do trust that he's going to turn it around. Uh, and yeah, with a title, would he would he break the top 100? Uh, he would be like very close. He would be on the verge. I don't know if, if actually break it, but you know, he would put himself in a great position before Brasilia and Temuco, basically. Uh, so yeah, Alexander Kovacevic is going to be my pick here. And the last challenger we have is in Dramondville. Vasek Pospisil, the defending champ, but of course he's not playing with yet another injury. And instead we have Dominic Kepfer as the top seed playing qualifier, then a qualifier Paulson. Zizou Berg's face is Luke Savi. By the way, did, wasn't this a matchup recently? Or am I... No, no, it, it wasn't. For some reason I, I have my... No, actually it was, yeah, Surbit on second round. Well, recently, in June, but yeah, I remembered Zilberg's playing Luke Savi. And uh, then ben, ben Lock or a qualifier. This was surely a matchup, though. Berg's Lock last week in the opening round, if they if they play again in the second here. Diallo plays Benski, but again, it's, it's yeah, it's just going to be tough to um, expect anything from him, given the fact that he withdrew from both singles and doubles last week. And then Stephen Diaz or Liam Drax, with a special exempt here, as I hinted at um, earlier on. So we've got Max Kashnikovsky playing Aziz Tugas. Max didn't defend his Calgary semi-final, so that probably ends his Australian Open qualifying chances, I think. But, you know, a good run in Drummondville would be very helpful. And he did have a nice win against Benoit Per. He just wasted a few set points against Enzo Waller, and yeah, that, that that's how he went out in Calgary. Uh, Justin Boulet and or Charles Broom for one of them in the second round. We also have Alexis Galarno as the seventh seed playing Horda Sanchez and then Janvier or two. Uh, Benoit Perez again here playing that Aguilar um, wildcard, the doubles champion from Calgary, and then Toby Samuel or Jao Souza. Uh, Ryan Peniston, the fifth seed, plays the, uh, plays a qualifier, and then Dan Martin or a qualifier. And there's also Canon Kingsley against James Duckworth, I think one of my favorite first rounds here. And then uh, one of them can face Kwiatkowski or, or a qualifier. So speaking of the qualifying, uh, honestly, it's pretty weak. Uh, Olaf Pieczkowski, I'm interested to see if he beats Alexander Kutzen, another uh, another college player here, because uh, Olaf just joined Drummondville for, for one week. I'm kind of surprised by this decision. Uh, Olaf was actually sort of deciding to go to, uh, whether to go to college this year, but decided against it when he um, won uh, won his first fa um, pro title in Stavno in uh, September. And since then, he's actually on a very good run. He had two quarters in a row and then two finals in a row, losing to Barroso Campos and Bonchetri. Uh, he also beat Darian King in Davis Cup, allowing us to beat, uh, you know, allowing Poland to defeat Barbados very e Barbados very easily. And uh, yeah, in Drummondville, uh, who am I picking here then? Uh, because I don't think it's going to be anyone from the qualifying. I actually think Olaf or Ketsen might be the two strongest players left in the in the qualifying. Um, Pieczkowski or Ketsen. So yeah, who am I picking here? I absolutely have no clue. Uh, usually I would drift towards like Bergs or Diallo, but Bergs lost to Kepfer so easily last week. And Diallo, yeah, after the retirement, I don't know if to trust him or not. Uh, the bottom half seems a little weaker, but yeah, Duckworth against Kingsley, I, I think it takes out Duckworth out of my consideration because it's just too tough. Um, so yeah, it, it's not easy. 
Alexis Galarno maybe could win a challenger like that. But I don't know if I trust him enough to like win five matches. Uh, of course, he's done it once before, but you know I don't think it's like super easy for him though. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm gonna go with Zizou Berks. It's a little out there, you know. He is in the quarter with Kepfer and in the half with Diallo, but um, why not? Let's let's be a little wild. I think that Zizou, you know, if he has a full-on healthy season in 2024, he should be into the top 100 contention this year. I mean, uh, again next year. Uh, I hope that this is gonna happen. So, yeah, let's let's start that campaign on a good note. Let's let's just finish off the year in in great style from Zizou Berks. I actually don't know if it's his last event. Uh, let me check that. No, he still he he actually wants to travel over to Japan after Canada and play Yokohama and Yokaiji. I think that's a good choice. Uh, a lot of the players who are sort of missing out on the points in Brasilia, Temuco, and even Japan. I think they've made wrong calls, really. So I like that decision for sure. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's finish it off here. Uh, thank you guys for listening as usual. And when I'm back next week, there's going to be extra content from Danderit. And other than that, we're also going to have to discuss Dramondville, Champagne, Montevideo and uh, Kobe. And this is actually going to be the last uh, challenger week with uh, this year with five events because we're only going to have three in the one starting 20th of November and four in the very last week of the season starting 27th of November. So again, uh, thank you all for attention and we're going to see each other in uh, seven days or rather you're going to hear uh, me in about seven days and hopefully some players from Dandarit as well. So yeah, I'll see you then. Bye. Thank you.